all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We also want to thank Eisenhower Center. It's a brain injury recovery center. Learn more about eisenhowercenter.com. They're located in Michigan and in Florida. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. Contact us if you'd like to be a sponsor on Veterans Radio, and let's move on to our program. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio Matthew Griffin, a Army Ranger who's got an interesting business story is, uh, over the last 10 years or so. Um, Matthew, welcome to Veterans Radio. Well, thanks for having me today, Jim. It's good to be here. Well, you're you're the combat uh, flip-flop CEO. Uh, you sign your stuff, Griff. Uh, so I hope you don't mind if I call you Griff sometimes. Yeah, if you call me Matt, I think you're the uh, the IRS or right. And if I call you Matthew, yeah, if I call you Matthew, you think your mother's after you. So I, yeah, I know how this works. Um, so you're an Iowa native. Um, how did a nice kid from Iowa end up at West Point and end up an Army Ranger? Uh, I'm a fourth generation warfighter. My great grandfather fought in World War One. Both my grandfathers fought in World War Two. My father was actually an academy graduate, so he graduated in 1973, so right after the Vietnam War. He spent 20 years as a as an army officer, uh, and then he retired and became a chiropractor. That's how I ended up in Iowa for Palmer School of Chiropractic. And uh, it was just one of those things where either I had to get a scholarship, I had to join the army, or I had to get a job. And so I just did all three at once, and I... I just applied to the service academies. I really wanted to go to the Coast Guard Academy. Um, I applied to West Point. I did not apply to Navy uh, just because, you know, beat Navy. <laughs> but uh, uh, my father and my family probably would have disowned me at that point. But uh, I ended up applying to, to West Point and I got accepted to be in the class of 2001. So in June of 1997, I, I went to West Point, went to the academy. And it was a, just a, a great experience. Um, you know, going through the whole selection process and the down-select process and all the interviews, they really do a great job of, of trying to bring good human beings into the, the Leadership Academy for the military. And uh, talk about making your way to the Army Rangers. 
when you're at the academy, you get exposed to a lot of people who served in the military. And I had a really great mentor uh, who was my TAC NCO when I was a junior and a senior, so Cal and a firstie, who was a mortarman in the Ranger Regiment. And we just got along really well, and I just got to sit down and chat with him. And he just, and every experience I had with guys that served in the Ranger Regiment, I just felt that I vibed with. If that's the best way to say it, is like I really felt that these people were my speed and you know, kind of mindset. So I ended up going artillery uh, of all courses of action just because I, I liked the stories of Ford observers and, and the guys working with the infantry really helping out uh, as the king of battle, not the queen of battle with the infantry. So I, I always just, a, I liked it and I thought it was cool. So jumping out of airplanes, getting to shoot rifles and then be able to control large munitions seemed like something that I wanted to do. So I was already airborne qualified officer basic course. And then you go to your pre-ranger training, which they had at officer basic. And so we had 72 guys that started. Uh, I think that by the time it all ended up, uh, 12 of us went to ranger school, six of us graduated. And then out of those six that graduated, four of us ended up in the ranger regiment, which is a, which is a pretty cool experience to have those guys that you spent so much time with be able to lockstep all the way with your career, uh, all the way into combat. Well, so you, folks might you have looked sur- looked at you though, yep. Griff, and said, "Oh man, the old man was a uh, lifer. Uh, he's at the uh, you know at the academy now. Griff's in this thing for the long haul. He's going to be a lifer. He's a uh, career man. Didn't didn't turn out that way. Um, you knew you'd end up deployed overseas, and you were. So, talk to us a little bit about the deployment to Afghanistan and and maybe the trans. What was going on mentally for the transition back out of the military to the civilian world? Well, oddly enough, we didn't know we were going to deploy. You have to remember, we graduated June of two thousand and one. It was a it was a relatively peaceful time, and so September eleventh happened while I was at Officer Basic Course in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and just like everybody else. You know, I felt a feeling of, of anger and frustration and wanted to get retribution. My girlfriend at the time worked about four blocks north of the World Trade Center. So I was scared for her. My mom uh, was a dental hygienist working at a dental clinic for the Navy right outside of the Pentagon. So I was scared for her. And it just was what was what it was. I was in the Army. I was committed for five years. And if I was going to go, I was going to go with the hardest hitting guys that are out there for the army, which is the Ranger Regiment. So, um, 2003, I went for my first deployment, which was Operation Winter Strike. And that was, um, a paradigm shifting deployment for me, I would have to say, because yeah, I'm, I I consider myself uh, a fairly astute you know, person when it comes to fighting a war, which I read, read the religious books. I read the essential Quran. I read the histories of Afghanistan. I read about all the wars and I watched all the news and I read all the reports. And when I got there, what I found was that it was very much different in real life than from the pages of a book or from a TV screen. You know, we deployed to Eastern Afghanistan up along the Pakistani border where a lot of the insurgent fighters were crossing the borders And then we went to these remote villages in the middle of nowhere. And what we saw was this communities of people who were generally good people who were oppressed by a narco finance insurgency. You know, they were having to farm opium for the Taliban or for whatever insurgent group was to raise money to uh, 
you know, fund their networks and their organizations. And these are people who would rather just farm food and put their kids in school than to be fighting in the middle of this war. So it was, it was a very difficult deployment in which we lived for months in villages. Uh, and in the middle of winter, feet of snow, we were killing sheep for dinner. Uh, we were buying you know, all of the food they had in their winter stores. And we were going village to village, valley to valley, tracking down fighters in the middle of winter, which was, it was a, it was a tremendous experience. It was exceptionally hard, uh, but I'm thankful for it because it gave me a perspective that most U.S. service members never would have had the opportunity to even see. And, and as you say, it was really sort of transformative in your view of uh, military affairs and, and world affairs, if you will. Um, you get, you get uh, to about 2008, 2009. W- what are you thinking about what you're going to do next? So I, I did three deployments to Afghanistan, and I saw kind of the futility in the fight that we were, we were having there. And then the Ranger Regiment, we went to Iraq. So I went to Iraq in 2005, and I saw the same thing that I saw in Afghanistan, but amplified in Iraq, uh, in which you know we weren't dealing with fighters from just Pakistan. We were dealing with fighters from Syria, from Iran, from all these different areas who were traveling all over the world to fight us where, where they could fight us or where they could just hop in a car and come do it. Right. And the reality of as long as women are giving birth to, to young boys over there and we're over there in a uniform capacity, this conflict is going to be ongoing. It's going to be endless. And as much weight as I swung during that time, because the Ranger Regiment, we did have just about every asset under the sun to win this war. And we were... You know, you know, our, our term in the special operations is mowing the grass, right? We're just going to cut the insurgents down that are there. And then six, seven months later, they're just going to grow right back. Sure. Yep. Um, and, you know, I saw this as a 27 year old lieutenant or a captain at that point in the Rangers. And there was the general sentiment around that. And we all started seeing this as, I mean, this is our you know, fourth, fifth year of the war. And that mindset was ongoing. And so I decided that uh, it was time for me to get out. Uh, I transitioned to civilian life, which is tough. It just is. And you hear that sentiment by a lot of veterans and it's the truth. It's just hard on everybody. And I I just went to work in the civilian market, just trying to get back to life. Uh, I lost my job in the housing crash as a home builder in 2008. I ended up getting hired to work for a company called Remote Medical International, in which we were contracting doctors and clinics and pharmacies to contractors working overseas. So I started traveling back overseas and I saw that small businesses were making the most positive impact in these war-torn communities. And I saw this in Africa. I saw it through Southeast Asia. I saw everywhere that I went. And my mindset was, is, well, how do we bring more small business to these communities to, to bolster that initiative. It seems more sustainable and ethical than continuing to send surges of young men and women over there to cut more grass. And I, one day I just walked into a combat boot factory uh, at the invite of a friend who had built the factory. And I, I saw what I wanted to do with the rest of my life was to, you know, help people um, make products. So something that they could sell to earn a living to, so that way their kids could go to school and eventually it would do well. And the long story is I, in this combat boot factory, 
Uh, I saw a flip-flop thong punched through a combat boot sole. It was kind of a prototype joke product that was built. And I just thought it was, you know, the a combat flip-flop. So the juxtaposition of the two words was really interesting. You know, I used to think that being an army ranger and yanking terrorists, you know, out of their homes in the middle of the night was the best way to serve my country. But now I believe that creating jobs and economy and education in these areas is the best way to serve my country. And this was but this I, was sort of accidental while while you were while you were realizing the value of small businesses and, and the security that that brought to some of these war-torn villages and locations almost accidentally do you the business idea of combat flip-flops the only presents. way that i could describe it and it really depends on what your beliefs are was by <laughs> divine force like the universe kept showing me the same thing in every place that i went was that small business owners and people that were making things were generally cooler people than people that were shooting each other. So what do we do to, to create more of that? And yeah, it was, it just, it just happened. And, uh, I ended up calling a ranger buddy of mine, Donald Lee. And I said, Hey man, would you be willing to, to get on this weird project to make flip-flops in a combat boot factory in Afghanistan? And he said, yes. And then my brother came along as our de- uh, designer, uh, his name's Andy. And then we just started this crazy idea of starting a flip-flop company in a combat boot factory in Afghanistan. And it's since blown up to a multi-million dollar business working all over the world. Um, and then we use our, our profits to, or we had used our profits to put little girls to school in Afghanistan. And as of June of 2021, when I did the Q2 numbers, we'd gotten our first comma. We put over a thousand girls in school for a year in Afghanistan. I want to come back to that piece because the charity is such a big part of this in in Afghanistan. The impact it was was going to have was going to be such a big thing. But what in the world made you and a, a another Ranger buddy think you somehow can cobble together a business uh, and 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 make a buck and make this work? I mean, what you know. What pixie dust did you have that some other guy didn't, or were you just too stubborn to know you couldn't do it? I think we were the only guys dumb enough to try it, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't want to use that word. I said stubborn. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's when you come up with a crazy idea, you know, people say, oh, there's no way that'll work. And then there's no way that'll work. There's no way that'll work. It's a good idea, but there's no way it'll work. Well, you know, we used to jump out of airplanes and put 500 guys on an airfield in the middle of the night in under five minutes and do some very complicated stuff just because you can't do it doesn't mean that we can't do it. And that's just our mindset is like the real products solve real problems. And if you want to charge a premium for your product, you solve a complicated problem and then charge a premium for it. And so this was a real problem that needed to get solved. And so we came out with a high end line of footwear that we charge a premium for, but it's a quality product. And we started making something that not only looks good and lasts a long time, but it's got a really cool story and message behind it, which, which our customers are proud to promote, and which is it, which is something that yeah, that's absolutely, actually made absolutely. us believe in it was that we started making this stuff and then people started buying it. And it was mainly service members and people that worked down range who believed in what we were doing, saw the, the path that we were on and wanted to support us. And they've been with us ever since 2012. And yeah, that's the one of the points I want to get across. It's now ten years old. It's a real business. It's been there. It's weathered a couple of recessions. Um, 
financial issues, logistic issues, COVID, all of that, uh, all hard on businesses, and it's there surviving. It's got a great uh, website, uh, combatflipflops.com. And you're into a lot more than just flip-flops. After people stop laughing about the name, you've got some great uh, other products. Talk to us about how that's expanded and and, uh, moved over time. So we we wrote a book about it. And if anybody wants to to hear our story uh, that's loaded full of expletives and high adventure, uh, you can find it on our website. It's called Steps Ascending, Rise of the Unarmed Forces. But long story is, is the it's not financially feasible or globally competitive to make footwear in Afghanistan. So we had to shift our footwear to Bogota, Colombia. So, you know, war on terror, war on drugs, mountain people suffering from a narco finance insurgency. It's the same thing. So we, we shifted our, our footwear production to Bogota. Uh, we started making textiles in Afghanistan. We started making jewelry out of landmines from Laos left over from the Vietnam war. Uh, and we, we make t-shirts and hats and a bunch of other things here in America. And we're always hunting for cool products made in dicey areas that can, that can have a positive impact in the world. Part of this story though, and maybe the part that actually grabs folks and says, yeah, it's great to, um, realize that, uh, small business helps communities become stable, but you also recognize that in Afghanistan, the lack of education primarily for girls, but really for everybody, but but the girls here um, needed to be changed and you started to put some resources into us. Talk to us why that's important and where where your mindset was 10 years ago uh, or for the last 10 years as you've been on this mission. Well, it, it comes back to wanting to win the war, right? And people look at us and they go, oh, you just want to peace, love and hippies, it'll never work. It's like, no, we're fighters. We are to our our core, we are warriors. And sometimes that means you need to take a little bit of a step back and look at why you're in this fight in the first place. And the reason we're in this fight in the first place is because women are not educated. Terrorists come from the same place that we all come from. They come from moms. So unfortunately, you know, in these cultures in which we're doing a lot of our fighting, women are oppressed. You know, they don't have employable skills, no jobs, no education. They're typically married off to men that are 10 to 20 years their seniors. So when the men die, here you have a woman in her 20s or 30s with a couple kids and no way to support them. So if you've ever been to a developing nation, you'll understand there's a lot of kids that are on the street that are begging for food and for work because they need to support their mom and their family. And if you're a kid and you love your mom, and you love your family, you're going to do whatever it takes. And it's in these environments very much, you know, we get equated to gangs here in America. When kids are out on the street because, you know, working because mom can't support their family, that's where gangs pick them up and they'll take the easy, fast money to support their family because that's the only thing that's offered to them. So our mindset is if we educate women, the educated women will educate their kids and educated kids are more resistant to radicalism. A kid would rather go to school than to strap a bomb to themselves in a market. And so our, our theory and our, our effort for the past 10 years has been to educate girls in Afghanistan to prove that over time you can choke out the radical recruitment base simply by educating women. And, and you have to somehow break that cycle. And, and it's so important. This, this, uh, uh, charitable effort by combat flip-flops was so important to break that cycle 
But as a warfighter, as a businessman, as somebody who's being philanthropic in Afghanistan, the U.S. pullout uh, earlier this year um, really had to pull your heart apart. Talk to us a little bit about your reaction and, and, and what ultimately you've had to do relative to the philanthropic efforts educating women and, and children in uh, Afghanistan. I have to say that is the first time my daughters have ever seen me cry. Um, it was heartbreaking. Uh, you know, we, these, these people are our friends. They're our family. We've been working with them for 10 years. And to, to hear that they're having to collect their families and run for their lives so quickly, like it just fell apart absent of what anybody heard and to, to have, you know, people struggling to get to an airport and, and losing people that you're chatting with in that bomb explosion. Yeah. It's everybody felt helpless. I'd have to say that was the only time in, in my life that I've, I've truly felt helpless. You know, what could we do? And, you know, we did our best to, you know, to leverage all our resources to keep people safe, to get them in safe houses you know, we send money forward for food and clothing and medical supplies. And we've had families get cholera. Um, so we had to send money via MoneyGram to, to pay for doctors to get medicines. Uh, we've been trying to work with any organization that will help get documentation, pa- paperwork, passports. And it's, it's just been soul crushing, you know, to have everything fall apart and to have people who were on the rise now be pushed further back into a hole than they've ever seen in their entire adult lives. And that was at the result of a lot of laziness and poor decision-making on behalf of our, our national and military leadership. Well, as they say, you know, uh, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And unfortunately we saw that sort of play itself out on uh, real time TV um, and really impact people who for 20 years uh, many of them were helping the U.S. Uh, military, and in your instance, for 10 years, half that time, uh, you were helping them build a new life. Um, and, and I think all of us were hoping that, well, for 20 years, uh, at least girls have been getting educated, and, and they're now teenagers or maybe even old, a little older. You know, that ought to have an impact on the country. I don't think we've seen it yet but we can be still hopeful. Are you still hopeful, uh, Griff? No, I, uh, no, I take it. I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to be really pragmatic about this. And I, yeah, I'm probably have to say like the most hopeful person. And I'll have to say that I've, I've put my entire adult life into this effort and initiative. And I've sacrificed as well as my entire team has sacrificed a tremendous amount behind this initiative. But that being said, as we, we tell people the hard realities of what life is like. And you could go back through all of my podcasts through the end of 2019, 2020, 2021. And I've been calling how this was going to go for over two years now, since they started announcing the peace talks, because for some reason, people still listen to those in suits behind pulpits on the TV they still listen to the media anchors and all the people there who have never actually set foot in country outside of a secured wall. They have never dealt with a culture of the population 
ever. And they just don't understand how it's going to go. And the sad reality is, is there's so many international forces around this landlocked nation of Afghanistan, so many tribal considerations, which are, you know, I've been working in and out of that area for 20 years. And I've, I'd still say I've only scratched the surface of understanding of how it is, but it's very easy to see with that rudimentary level of understanding that any decision made from Washington, D.C. regarding the direction of that country is not going to turn out well. Um, There is some hope in the fact that there are some very large commercial initiatives put forward that might stabilize the country. You know, China does not want Afghanistan to descend into chaos. Iran does not want that country to descend into chaos. Pakistan does not want that country to descend into chaos. They're all somewhat invested in the stability of the area because if they don't stabilize that area, then it's going to be bad for everybody. So I'm going to have to say, give it 10, 15 years. We'll find out. How does combat, how does combat flip-flop, which had this education of girls in Afghanistan at its core, how, how do you move? How do you pivot? What do you, you know, what's next that is at the core for combat flip-flops? But it, you know, for those familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, we, we were on the, the second or third rung for the past 10 years, but now we're down at food, water, shelter. And that's what's important to us is we have friends and family who are there. And so we are now pivoting to keep people warm, keep people fed, keep people in homes, you know, and supply them with medical supplies. So we've essentially, we've pivoted our philanthropic effort to that initiative. We've pivoted our factory that was making scarves and textiles to send to the United States to making blankets and making jackets. And so we're still employing people. We're still sending money forward to do that. And people can participate in that effort if they want to, if they feel that they would like to put a jacket on a human being who is suffering, they cost 15 bucks. You know, if you want to give them a blanket for a small child who is freezing, you know, it costs $10. If you want to, you know, give a little bit more and then have some, some cash in the kitty for medical supplies. And, you know, we'll, we'll take those donations as well. Like right now, it's just become a full on press effort to keep, keep people warm clothed, sheltered, fed, and with proper medical care. So we've done that. If, if people want to check it out, they can go to uh, combatflipflops.com slash Afghan Wobi. Uh, so Afghan, A-F-G-H-A-N-W-O-O-B-I-E. So combatflipflops.com slash Afghan Wobi. Or if you go to our blog, it's the first uh, part on there. But we partnered with a 501c3, 46 and 2 transitions to, to help us uh, generate tax-deductible receipts for any donors that feel like they want to help out in the initiative. That's great. That's where I was hoping we would end up, is how folks can continue to help what you're doing. Check out the footwear, the apparel, the accessories, but also if what really moves you is, hey, I want to be doing something for on a, on a philanthropic, charitable front, how do I do that? And And again, go to the blog. It's right there. Uh, as the first item up, uh, how you might uh, donate and help. Um, yeah, and it's, and what I think just everybody needs to just realize is that this isn't an American westernized, you know, initiative. This is going to be ongoing. You know, 
this is going to take six months, eight months, a year to, to get people stabilized and on their feet and safe. Um, every penny that we get, none of it is used for overhead. All of it goes toward the initiative. So as, as soon as the donations come in, the funds get pushed forward and we we're, we're helping out wherever we can. And we hope it's enough, right? We're going to help as many people as we can for as long as we can. And we really appreciate everybody's support and in, in doing that. Well, I wanted to thank you, Matthew Griffin, for taking some time today to talk about combat flip-flops, for talking about what's going on in Afghanistan and, and efforts to help those people have food, water, shelter, medical uh, uh, services, uh, people who you've worked with for for better than a decade at this point. Um, uh, Griff is a uh, former Army Ranger. Uh, we didn't get to talk to, about it, but uh, he's also the father of two alpha females, which is a great phrase. I'm going to start using it with uh, some in my family. And uh, I, I think... Uh, uh, you know, you're doing great work, and I want to direct people to combatflipflops.com. Griff, thanks for taking some time today. Thank you, Jim. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. Same to you and the family. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Veterans Radio today. I am Jim Fawson. It's been a pleasure to be your host. I'm a veterans disability lawyer at Legal Help for Veterans, and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or LegalHelpForVeterans.com on the web. You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to VeteransRadio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, Eisenhower Center, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan, VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor, and the American Legion Press Corn Post 46 also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, you are dismissed.